Welcome to Claret in Conversation, a podcast of voices from the creative industry. My guest today is Pascaline Lambert, who is a textile furnisher and teacher. Pascaline, just our first question is, is rather the obvious one. What is a textile furnisher? Well, I suppose textile furniture encompasses anything that you can do with a piece of textile. So it could be either for the home or it could be as a piece of art. It could be embellishing fabric. Um, so what I do is anything to do with textile, as far as I'm concerned. Can you give me an example? Yes. I mean, you know, for the moment, I'm doing a quite an interesting piece of work for a couple of artists who have made a, a, a fairly big structure out of plasticine. And they've asked me to cover it with fabric and then do some stitching around. So it's, you know, it's going to be a piece of art to be shown in a, in a gallery, but it's their piece of art. It's just my textile on top of it. Well, I think you're, it, it does sound like there's a, a fairly substantial creative element to it, though, because surely you're, between your skills and your knowledge of textiles and how, it, how they work, this must, your, your, your ability to understand what works is part of their successful art piece. Yes, but it is it is very much a work in progress because when they first approached me, they were not quite clear what they wanted. And then so, you know, after discussion, we just decided to see how, where it would take. So it is definitely a work in progress. And then at every stage, I just show, you know, what I have done. And, uh, and then they said, OK, we'll carry on in that direction or we'll try to find another direction. Interesting. So, so it's a bit of a, a kind of a, a cooperative input yes. to how the creative process yes but what i'm saying is that it's not you know the majority of my work is not necessarily that type of work i mean i make curtains blinds i help design homes uh, but textile is is vaster than just saying well furnishing yes it is and i think also right now there's a um it's coming back into vogue i think par- partially because of people like grace and perry who is pushing all the boundaries of what we consider to be arts and crafts and turning it into something that's more uh, uh, art pieces. And I think fabrics are part of that new movement. I think fabric is a, a, it's, it's textile, as an art piece, have been around for a very long time. Yes. But there is definitely more interest in embellishing um, using different types of techniques, whether it's embroidery, whether it's beading, you know, people feel that they want to add something to a piece of textile. So, and you can do it on so many ways. Yes. So, but there's considerable knowledge you've got. So you have um, all the qualifications to be um, to work in in the city and guilds technology to the point that you actually teach city and guilds, don't you? Well, I taught City and Guild for about 25 years. For the moment, I, I'm not actually teaching City and Guild. I do uh, some community learning classes in a, a local college. But I did teach City and Guild in soft furnishing and upholstery for many years. And the advantage of the City and Guild is that there are there is a quite an important design element um, that has that is part of the course. So, Pascaline, tell me how you got started in this uh, industry, because it's a very unusual... um, I just can't imagine anybody kind of growing up and saying, I want to be a a textile artist. Well, I certainly didn't. Um, I think it became more something that I felt I could combine with bringing up a young family. 
uh, I think that probably was the starting point. And then sort of the love for the textiles sort of came, you know, gradually. I had my children at uh, my early 20s and uh, I remember joining a local adult education class in making clothes for children and uh, and I remember being very inspired by the teacher and I remember thinking I'd like to be that person who gives that type of experience to students and then I got inspired by an open day in uh, what was then called the London College of Furniture in East London and uh, I was blown over by what I saw and I joined a four-year part-time course and then at the end of it, um, I did my teacher's training and then I became a teacher. And so, then your private business grew out of your teaching business? Not so much in parallel, but I did start as a teacher. And, uh, and a few years later, when I moved home and had slightly bigger premises, I set up a workshop in my home, um, quite a nice, spacious workshop in my home. And then I took on, I registered a business. And then I, so that's about 20 years ago now. So you've been a, a sole, sole business owner now for 20 years and a teacher for 25? Well, probably a teacher for 30 okay. and, uh, and, and, you know, and running my own business for about 20, yes. How do you find your clients? Do they come from your teaching? Is there any overlap at all or is it just word of mouth? Or? Uh, quite a lot of overlap. I mean, it comes in various ways. Sometimes I have a, a students who joined the class and, you know, want to make big projects and then realize actually what it entails. And then she said, please, please, can you come and give me a quote and, then do, <laughs> and do my own, yes, and do my project. Or sometimes, <laughs> and then uh, sometimes they, um, you know, probably started with friends and family. But now I, I have enough work um, and I've never had to advertise because I suppose I've been doing it for a long time. I don't have my name on any... Uh, website. I don't have my name anyway. It literally has been word of mouth. I have to tell you, Pascal, you're very, very lucky. <laughs> the rest of us are in a mad scramble to figure out Instagram and whether or not you should spend money on Facebook advertising and the like. It's just miserable. So I'm, I have to admit that I felt this twinge of envy when I heard you to say it that way. Yes, but... I mean, it doesn't mean that it's always going to be like that either. I mean, for the moment, I work also uh, sometimes with interior designers and I know how much I want to work. So if I wanted to work more, I may have to advertise. Mm. But I haven't had the need to yet. Okay. Um, when you go to work with your private clients and they want some kind of interior design, I assume this means you have to work with an interior designer and and work with the client and the three of you have to have a sit down and, and hash ideas out. Does that, is that how it works or am I guessing wrong? Yes, I mean, it can work in different ways. It depends very much on the client. So if you have, it depends a bit on the budget of the client. Sure, fair so enough. if whether they want to employ an interior designer and then the interior designer employs me to do some of the work and to discuss it with them. Or sometimes I have clients without any interior designer and I play that role of interior design. Well. But I do not I do not market myself as an interior designer. Um, I give consultation, I give advice, but you know, I will not do technical drawings. I've done it in the past, but I don't you know, this is not something that I do now. And I think each people their expertise. I don't want to spend 
hours and hours looking at the right fabric for the right person. I do have obviously fabric samples and and sample books. But, you know, if I understand a person well, um, hopefully I can find something that suits them fairly quickly. Where interior designer might spend days and days choosing furniture, um, looking through, you know, tons of samples and, you know, and, and so on. This is not what I do. But I do work with people who do that, yes. Yeah. I, 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 you know, what you just described is you almost have to have a kind of... Um, like a psychology, like a like, a, like an intuitive understanding of human nature, in order to do your job of of, of interior design slash furnishing slash consulting, you got to be able to. You must have a phenomenal understanding of human beings. I think your home is your castle, but I think a lot of experience of people has been through my students. I've had such a variety of background, uh, whether it's on ethnicity, social, cultural, and I felt it's been a very, very rich experience and continues to, to be. And so I suppose, I'm not saying I have a good understanding of human nature, but I think I try to understand what people are about. And so if I go and see a new client, you often, you know, get an idea of the type of interior that person would feel comfortable in sure still and what happens if you ever i i I don't want to focus on the negative but just what happens if you get it wrong and the person goes god i hate that well i think it's a question of not taking things necessarily too personally i mean it's not a question that you have one proposal and you said oh i hate it or i like it which may be what happens with interior designer but in my case it's very much a discussion so i might have a selection of things you know mm-hmm. i might have a selection of fabric i said okay so we can go down that route or that route and then you know it might involve more than one meeting so that you sort of narrow it down until you know the people feel comfortable sometimes i'm totally out of my comfort zone you know i've had clients where when i've been to their house i thought oh my god this is so out of my comfort zone but in in the same time it was exciting because i thought oh i'm going to look at things that i not don't normally look at and yeah. try to narrow down a few ideas and a few projects so i've never had somebody saying oh i hate the final product because you don't get to the final product until you've agreed that it's going to work Okay. You know, for, you know, I don't want to impose my idea. Those are suggestions, you know, which hopefully work with the person's idea of what they they like. Yeah. Because people don't always know what they like. Well, that's so that's why say, they yeah. want consultation. I, I went actually very recently, I went to a home where there were not that many original features in the home. So you have to create it a little bit from scratch. But the one thing that they had, they had a a sort of a 1920 wooden uh, surround fireplace, which I thought was really quite interesting. And it's the one thing that they really didn't like. They said, oh no, well, we thought it was horrible. And I said, this is a really original feature here. This is quite unusual. I think make something of it. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, whether it's just painting it because you know for the moment it's, it's sort of a pine it doesn't look you know there's nothing coming up and uh, um, and and they did you know they just painted it but it's an object which has got some interest mm-hmm. and, they, and I'm really glad they liked it you know they kept it and I know they wouldn't have kept it if I had said you know or you know if I hadn't said this is an interesting piece 
this is this is something you can work with and they were really quite surprised although they said oh, we have no idea about design about what you put together or anything but they thought well give it a go yeah. you know live with, live with this piece painted and see how how we can work around around that to make uh, you know the room the rest of the room pleasant so it sounds to me Pascal, as if you'd have to have um a good natural eye yourself you know do you are you and and I suppose what I'm trying to say is it seems to me as if you're self-educated when it comes to art. Yes, I suppose it is. But, in, you know, I think it's all about life experience and you, you learn to look at things in a different way. You know, I'm sure I wasn't born. It's not a talent. I don't see it as a talent that I have. I think it's an inter- interest that I have developed and sort of refined a bit. So now I, I look at something and, and I see maybe more in that piece than somebody who, you know, who's not really familiar with you know with an item so I think everybody can learn everybody can start looking differently I always tell my students you know just learn to look you know how how many how many times do we pass a a department store that has you know maybe fabric hanging and you you know you, you sort of skim quickly but just if you're interested just look see learn what you like well that's interesting it's almost almost like zen-like you know you're talking yes. about something that is yes. being aware being in the moment being very present in your own life so that you can see good design around you and understand its its pieces it's uh, you know the things that what's what is the definition of good design there's there's definitely things that i would estimate is good design but if i have you know i have a client for the moment she it's quite uh, it's quite a fussy household what i would consider a fussy household so there's yeah. a lot a lot of colours, a lot of furnishing, but it's what she's comfortable with. Yeah. You know, she likes to surround herself with a lot of textiles, with a lot, you know, it's not it's not necessarily an interior that I would want personally to live in, but it suits her need and her, fra- and, and her frame of mind and her past. And so we work with that. So when she said, well, you know, you have better taste than, than me, you know, choose what you think is right. Well... I have to sort of slightly deviate with that. I do not want to make the choice for the client. I want I want to make suggestion that I that I know is going to work for them. Well, in other words, she has to both literally and figuratively own her own her own. Yes, tasks. I yes, do so. because I think you appreciate it more when you feel you've had an input. Yeah. I'm very keen. Maybe it comes from the teaching background, but I'm very keen that students or people or clients have an input. You know, rather than saying, well, you know, you choose everything. Yeah. You know, I like, I like developing. I want something to be developed in them as well. I, I also quite like the, the democratic element of this, the way you're describing it. It's very, it, there's, it, there's a, a humanity to this so that everybody creates an environment that they themselves, unique to themselves, that they, they themselves would choose. Even when they say, I don't really care that much, they nonetheless are an active participant in creating yes. their own environment. That's very democratic. I think I think it's sort of taken a certain amount of ownership, but also I think you are you you are more proud of what you have achieved, even if somebody else has made it. Yes, you know because you've had an input in it. So yes, again, I do think it comes from the, the sort of the teaching element where you're supposed to get out of people what what they can achieve, and I think maybe I've taken that to to clients as well. I mean, you know, some more than others, of course, but uh, um, 
you know, it doesn't matter. You don't have to be artistic. You don't have, you know, people say, I will have no idea what to put together and so on. And yes, get help. Get people like me or get, you know, somebody, you know, an interior designer. Get help. But they will make proposals. Yeah. So you don't want, I don't think you want something that's going to impose anything on you. You know, there is no, I'm not saying there's no right and wrong choices. Of course, there's some choices that will work better. But what is it that you want to create? What What is the interior you want? What, what how do you want to feel when you go into your room? You know, I will say to people when they have to make a decision about that involves a lot of fabric, I, I, I don't rush people. I say, OK, you've chosen, you've looked, you know, you've chosen maybe a small sample. We're now going to get a bigger sample of the same thing. You're going to sellotape it on your window and you're going to leave it there for three days. And then you forget this there. So when you walk into that room, you can just see how you feel so put your two or three different samples before you make up your mind and then just see which one is better in the morning is there one better in the evening when do you use the room are you you know is this a master bedroom that you tend to go into the evening or is it a, a you know a sort of breakfast room or and then see how they make you feel and then at the end you know maybe in a few days just tell me actually this is the one that i want lovely and i think actually people have People have stronger opinions than they think they have. So, for example, I can remember as a student, I was house-sitting for one of my uh, professors. And he, as a summer job that he was going to pay me, he said, just paint my kitchen um, while I'm gone. And I said, well, what colour? He said, I really don't care. Choose any colour you want. Uh, something bright and cheery. I said, but I really don't care. Okay, I went off to the paint store and I chose a bright, cheery yellow paint and went in and painted kind of ceiling, walls and floor yellow. And he walked in from the summer holiday and the first words out of his mouth was, I hate that colour. There you go. And I thought, well, Buster, <laughs> you told me to choose a colour. I chose a colour. <laughs> so people, and people are constantly surprised at how actually they do care. Absolutely. They, <clears throat> they do care. People, people often will say they know better what they don't like than what they like, yeah, and uh, and that is why it sometimes it is a process of of elimination. You know, even with colours, you know that's why you get sample pots of colours, or you can get samples of fabric, and you know see what what is going to work together. But if you want to do it yourself, you can definitely be helped by. You know, a colour consultant, um, you know, I, I work with one who I think is very good. Um, you know, you can come and do a class, you know, a soft furnishing class and, and or a design your own room class. If you don't want to spend the money or you don't have the money, you know, I think you can create great things with little budget. Yes, so do I. And, and I'm a great believer that necessity is the mother of invention in any case, so and creativity. So, you know, whatever your budget, you'll be able to do something if you get a little bit of advice, if you put your mind to it. And as you say, it is very popular now to do upcycling, recycling, um, you know, embellish. And, you know, you can create something you are proud of and happy to have done. Um, we're just going to take a short break for um, a message from our sponsor and we'll come back and hear some more for, about soft furnishings and um, fabrics and Pascaline Lambert. Everything written needs an editor. As Stephen King once said, to write is human, to edit is divine. It could be a memoir you wrote about growing up or a collection of grandma's recipes or a copy for business statements or a racing page turner that you want to present to agents. For highly experienced and professional editing at a reasonable price, contact Clapham Publishing, www.claphampublishing.com 
for all your writing needs. Welcome back to Clareton Conversation. Our guest today is Pascaline Lambert, a textile furnisher. And we're just talking about how she got started in this industry, in the creative industry. I ask all my guests uh, if there is a particular work of art or uh, some kind of work of creativity or, or something, somewhere along the line, that inspired them to join the creative industry and go into uh, fabrics. Somebody told me one day years ago, I said, you are lucky to do what you do because it makes people happy. <laughs> and I remember thinking, well, I never thought of it that way. But I think what inspires me is the positive experience that people have, whether it's within the teaching or whether it is, you know, within finishing a project that is finally being put up. But I like the people's reaction. So it is not a piece of art that inspires me. So you say people inspired you. Any one person in particular? I had a wonderful teacher when I was, um, you know, 20, 23 year old and I was doing an adult education class in the clothes making. And this teacher inspired me because she was very creative with the clothes. She you know, was getting the best out of the students. She was making them feel that they were capable of achieving and of making beautiful things. I was not interested in clothes myself as, as a maker, but it's, it's her persona that inspired me. And uh, um, she was this little Irish woman who was adored by all her students. And uh, she had such energy, such vitality that I just thought, you know, I can combine, I can try to learn the skills of transferring knowledge and be creative at the same time and bringing up a young family. Um, and, and that's what I did, basically. And she actually gave me a job because she became head of, uh, head of department in the college. And then when I qualified, she gave me a job as a teacher. <laughs> well, I think that's a really important point, that for, especially for uh, women who are listening to this podcast, that the reality is that if you, if you go into the creative industry, if you don't have a trust fund, then you have to find some way of expressing your creativity in a way that allows you to have flexibility. Because the great the restriction on women... Um, when they have children, about how you're going to be creative. It's, it's almost, it almost breaks women. I, I deplore the fact that adult education has seen a reduction, an enormous reduction in the last 20 years. I mean, I have observed it. Most of the, the, the colleges that I have taught have either closed down to become luxury flats or they, I mean, they, I live in the borough of Wandsworth, and now in Wandsworth, there's only one place that, uh, that teaches the course that I do. And I remember how much I benefited as a young mother. There used to be a crash for the adult education uh, students. So both my children, my young children, could go to the crash for two and a half hours. I mean, it was a godsend for me. I was... Uh, I absolutely loved those two and a half hours, knowing my children were being well looked after by some qualified crash workers. It doesn't exist anymore. I this mean, sort of facility doesn't <coughs> exist anymore. And the courses were very affordable, because I was certainly on a low budget at the, you know, at the time. Now people can still get some concession, but the courses in general are a lot more expensive. It's yeah. more difficult to get onto them. There's fewer of them. 
my classes are full. I don't think my classes are full necessarily because I'm the most amazing teacher in the world. I think they are full because there's no competition. Uh, it, it's such a, um, such a, you know, short-term thinking and a long-term shame. I think it offers, it's not just about learning a new skills. It's also particularly for women to be part of a group where they can express their opinion, their thought, their problems sometimes as well in a safe environment. But I think it's also often self-supportive that they support each other. They, and, and it's also getting away from, I remember when I did my course years and years ago, that, that one day a week that I did for four years, when I left the house, between the time I left the house to the time I came back at the end of the day, I hadn't thought about anything but what I was learning. It was my one day a week of freedom at some level. Well, I think the other thing about adult education is that, um, as you said, it's a safe place and it's a place to learn and it's a place that brings people together, almost like a community of itself. Absolutely. Its community. Absolutely. I, I take an adult education course and one of the things that I've realized is how friendships are created there that's, that go outside of class and are mutually beneficial, you know, in a way that I didn't expect, um, I, I couldn't have hoped for, which is such a pleasure. Um, it enriches my life far more than way beyond the learning itself. I think, I think that's what I find adult education usually does, is that, as you say, it enriches your life you know, beyond learning how to sew or beyond learning how to draw or beyond, you know, if you have a, a good group, if you have a group that tends to gel and work well together, I think it's, uh, you know, I've, I've had people saying, well, you know, this keeps me out of a mental institution because <laughs> I have this structure even though it might just be one day a week, but it is something that they can, you know, hold on to and carry on and come years after years. It's not, it's supposed to be lifelong learning, although it's, it sounds as if that term has gone these days about the lifetime learning in, in lifetime learning in adult education, unfortunately. But um, I do think it is very important to yeah. a lot of people. What would you say your greatest contribution back to the textile industry has been? Has it been your teaching or these adult education classes or it has been any particular piece of artwork that you've done? I think it's, uh, it's a bit of everything actually. As I said, I've always enjoyed every aspect of what I do. And uh, I mean, as far as a piece that I'm particularly proud of, I remember having a project for a um, new develop well no it wasn't actually a new development it was a, um, a a large flat in Bermondsey but it was part of the wharf building and I remember this this person had bought a, a flat there but it you know it was obviously a new new newer development of the of the wharves and uh, he said you know I'd like you to represent the history of this of the place so I did a little bit of uh, you know I did some sort of research about what type of wharf it was so mean, meaning was it a tea what was unloaded in that particular space and then I, I sort of designed some logos and we used sacking you know to make the blind and, and I had stenciled made with different logos and with you know and I was really pleased I enjoyed the whole process of creating this piece of fabric that a blind was made out of yes. it's a few it's a few years ago but no. you're also very well known Pascaline for being um when the first people in on a project called all sewing up back in 1990 you started up a um 
a workshop to provide marketable skills in the textile industry, especially for uh, women who were not um, as fully educated, didn't yet have the GCSEs, and they didn't have credentials. Um, and funded up initially, bizarrely, by the Ministry of Education, Ministry of Environment, not Ministry of Education. The project actually belonged to Lady Margaret Hall Settlement, which is a, a charity that was funded, I think, in the late 19th century. And so they used to have several projects, so they decided to create a new project and got the funding, as you say, from the Ministry of the Environment for three years. So the project was called All Sewn Up, and, uh, and it's somebody who had actually studied with me who was asked to put it together and start it up. And she knew I was at the time doing my teacher's training, and she said, well, why don't you come and do your uh, practical teaching for your training at uh, All Sewn Up, and which I did, and then at the end of it she offered me a job. And when she left, I uh, took on the role of managing the project. So also now it's been a very, very big part of my life because I was there in 1990 when it first started. And I only left a year ago. So I stayed there for 28 years. And, and when you say you provided the marketable skills in the textile industry, mm -hmm. what did that entail exactly? Okay, so the courses were City and Guild a selection of City Angle course in soft furnishing. Then we offered um, employable uh, City Angle courses in, in probability skills, which means that we were, you know, teaching people to um, how you raise an invoice, how you prepare a project, how you quote something. Um, we did some uh, basic courses in uh, uh, computer studies. So we offer that as a project. We offer those, you know, those courses as a support, usually when people had qualified. So when they had the CTN Guild in the soft furnishing, then we said, okay, so those are different possibilities. We try to place people as well. So we place some people in, in workshops. We had quite a few students who wanted to be self-employed. So we run a course on, you know, how to do, how to run a business from home. Um, There's a whole variety. Wonderful. And is this course all sewn up? Is it still operating? All sewn up still exists. Uh, it doesn't have a soft furnishing class as such for the moment, although I know that they are looking to, to find a teacher. But they do clothes making. They have uh, um, embroidery classes. They have a hat making class. So it's well worth looking on their website because... They often try to put on some small courses uh, or longer courses, but it could be just for you know a few few a few weekends or something like that. So, is the the website is www.lmhs.org.uk and uh, also NAP is also on Facebook and on uh, Twitter okay. and and so on. So. It's well worth, well worth checking to see what they have on offer. I've actually taught, I've just finished teaching a, a short course on bag making there. So that's something well, I that I quite like to do. About, about uh, working with your, with your hands, whether it's teaching, whether it's sewing or, or indeed anything else, is how the skills are transferable. Oh, totally, totally. And, you know, the, the bag making, not many people sort of makes bag, but they're quite, you know, 
It was quite a... They didn't find it easy, but everybody was very happy with what they had achieved. What fun. So, so are you still learning fun. in Pasqueline? Or do you think I'm always it? learning, always learning. I'm always testing at home, trying a new technique. Uh, always. I'm, I'm, you never stop learning. On, on a that, skill. On that wonderful <laughs> note, we're going to end because I do think that all of us in the creative industry just endlessly learn, and it, and that's one of the hidden pleasures of being in the creative industry. Is absolutely you you grow not just as a human being, but you have to grow intellectually, and your skill base absolutely. has to expand and be refreshed and renewed. And it's it's one of the pleasures of being in the creative industry. I, I totally agree with you. I think life is exciting when you work in the creative industry. Oh, well, you can't ask for a better way to wrap the program <laughs> up that. Life is exciting when you work in the creative industry. On that note, thank you very much to Pascaline Lambert, the uh, textile furnisher, and uh, good luck with the rest of your career. Thank you very much, Katie. Clare and Conversation was brought to you by our sponsor, Clapham Publishing Services. It was executive produced, sound recorded, and edited by Teddy at Hoft. If you liked Clareton Conversation, please subscribe, share, and comment. <laughs>